So we've been in this series called the DNA of relationships. And um, what we did was, uh, I explained this to you, if you weren't here with us the last couple weeks, um, there is a book by Dr. Gary Smalley. And about 15 years ago or so, Jamie and I, my wife, we got a hold of this book. And it really, it just transformed us. It transformed the way we think and the way we do life. And if we're going to be a church that's built on a relationship with God and a relationship with each other, then we have to face the fact that let's just be honest, as Americans, we suck at relationships. We're really not good. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. 50%, I want you to think that through. If, what if I told you that 50% of you were going to get hit by an airplane is gonna fall out of the sky on your way home from church today? All of you would do something to change that situation. What, what if I told you 50% of your children were going to get kidnapped? You would do something radically different to fix that. 50% of Christian marriages are ending in divorce. We've got church splits. We've got people who don't like each other and sitting in church, mad at each other, across the room, don't want to talk to each other. We are not good at relationships, and we've got to fix it. Everybody say, fix it. You can do better. Say, we've got to fix it. And we've got to get a hold to God's heart because it was God who created us. For relationships he made us he looked at Adam and said it's not good that man be alone it's not good I'm gonna make him a helpmate I'm gonna create the ability for humans to have relationship God looked at us and out of everything he created it's the only part in the scriptures in his creation process that he goes that's not as good everything else this is good this is good in the third day and he called it good but when he got to this situation he said it's not good that Adam be alone we were made for relationships. We can be better at relationships. The enemy's desire is to destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So last week, what we did was we jumped into the book of James. And I want you to turn there with me for just a second. James chapter 4. Just a quick review for some of you that weren't with us. And James answers the questions, why do we have so many problems in our relationships? Look what he says in verse 1 of James chapter 4. What causes fights? And quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you you want something but you don't get it you kill and covet um, um, you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God so James answers the question why are we having all these problems why are we fighting amongst each other as the body of Christ why are we fighting amongst each other as people who love each other who said I do at an altar so many years ago why are we fighting with the very offspring that we that God gave us our own children why do we have these fights with co-workers jobs that we've chosen to work at why and James answered he says you fight and you quarrel because you have a desire on the inside you have something that you want and when you don't get what you want you react and you fight and you quarrel and you don't ask God. If you were to ask God, he would reveal to you what the difficulty is. And what Dr. God, Gary Smiley identified is that each and every one of us, we have these wants on the inside. And he identified that when you have a want, that creates a fear. So if I want you to like me, guess what I'm scared will not happen? You won't like me. If I want respect, that creates a fear in me that I won't get respect. I am now have a fear of being disrespected. If I want safety then that creates a fear of every time I feel unsafe. And that then causes me to have this reaction. And we have these reactions. And what we did last week, if you weren't here with us, what we did last week is we gave you an assessment. In fact, we'll throw the QR code up. You can quickly scan it. And you can go back and take this assessment. And what it does is it helps you identify your reactions. 
helps you identify. All of us have different reactions. For example, how many of you guys, we did this last week, how many of you guys are yellers? On, on, on it, just, I yell when I get upset, I get mad. Come on, let me hear, all right, the rest of you are liars. Thank you, thank you for being honest. How many, how many, how many guys are powders? You pout when you get mad and upset. Okay, a couple of you. See, that was, that's a more safer one. Good job, you're being more holy than us. And how many guys are slammers? You slam cabinets, you stomp around. Anybody like that? Okay, all right, all right. Anybody, anybody else? Anybody, are, you get sarcastic when you get upset and frustrated, all right? See, so we all have these different reactions and what we were able to do with Dr. Smiley's assessment is help each and every one of us go, that's what I do, I don't realize that. Wow, I guess that is kind of my reaction when I'm frustrated. And then what the assessment does is it gives you the opportunity, go ahead and put the QR code back up so they can keep scanning it. It also gives you the opportunity to identify your core fear because I'm doing that because I want something because I'm scared of not getting what I want. And what Dr. Smiley teaches then is that that then creates with another person what he identifies as the fear dance. Would you say that with me? Fear dance. You can do it a little bit better. Say fear dance. And let me, let me describe to you what he's talking about. When someone pushes your fear button, when someone, when someone's, when someone makes you feel like they're, they're not respecting you and that's one of the things that you want in life, I want to be respected or I want to feel safe. The moment that someone pushes that button, if you will, Dr. Smiley says, then you tend to react with unhealthy words or actions. But they're calculated, you don't even realize it, to motivate the other person to change and to give you what you want. Often your reactions trigger the core fear of the other person who then reacts with unhealthy words or actions to try to get you to fulfill his or her wants. And suddenly the two of you end up in a full-on fear dance. Fear dance. And so we've got a little bit of a scale here to kind of show you. So you starting at 1 o'clock, I want. And therefore because I want something, that has created a fear. And because I have that fear, then I react whenever I feel like you're not giving me what I want because I fear because I want that. I react, and then when I react, what I'm actually doing many times in my reaction is pushing your core fear, I'm hurting you. And so then I hurt you. Then what do you do? Because you fear what's just happened, because you want something, you react, and now we're in this fear dance at work with our small group friends at, 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 at our home, and we're back and forth. Most times when we get people in counseling appointments here at the church, when the pastors meet with them, guess what they'll tell me afterwards? They didn't even know what they were mad about. It started with something back in the day, but they've been dancing for so long, they don't even know what the real problem is anymore because it's just a tit for tat. It's a this, you did that, you said this, and it's a whole list of deet, 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 and all these things. And when you sit down and you talk about it with someone who's mature in Christ, you, you realize this is so immature. I can't believe we're even meeting about this. But it's the reason why is because you had a fear they then reacted in a way that hit your fear button, or they did something that hit your fear button. You wanted them to do something different, and as a result, you ended up in this fear dance. Years ago, when Miss Jamie and I were first married, I told this, I think, last week, when we first married, I was trying, before we got married, excuse me, we were first dating, I was trying to show off for her. I was trying to let her know the coolness of the man that I was. And uh, remember, I told you guys, and I had this little CRX, this little Honda CRX, little two-seater, little five-speed. And so it was a little misty evening. I'd just taken her out to eat or something. And so I was about to pull out on this boulevard, and I get this great idea. Watch this. So I dump the clutch, and I turn it sideways. And she starts losing her mind. What she should have done, the response that I wanted from her, 
was like, you're the man. This car is so fine. You're the greatest. I feel so safe and strong with you being in control of chaos because I am a man who can control chaos. But instead, she lost her mind. She started screaming. She started yelling. She said, I did not yell. I was like, yes, you did. And uh, talking about it afterwards. And she's like, stop the car. And she's reaching for the handle trying to get out of it. And what I did not know was years earlier when she was a teenager, she was in a car with a brand new driver and they were showing off and they were swerving back and forth between lanes on a boulevard. They lost control, crashed that car. A couple of the kids in the car were thrown out. Miss Jamie was the only one with a seatbelt on, so she wasn't thrown out. A couple of those kids ended up, one of them ended up paralyzed. They all were greatly harmed in that accident. And it all could have been, if you will, it could have, it could have been prevented if the person wouldn't have been being silly or foolish. So the moment I started showing off, what it did was it hit her fear button of being safe. She wants to be safe in a car. I then, in my action, pushed that fear button that she didn't feel safe. She then reacted and became accusatory of me, where as though I don't know what I'm doing, as though I, I want to be respected. So when she goes off like this, I feel disrespected because I am being cute and fun, but I'm also in control and I know what I'm doing. So when she did that, that created this, my reaction. Then, then I tried to make her feel stupid for acting that way. And now we're in a fear dance. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so this dance is very common in marriages. In fact, Dr. Smalley says that what they've done is they begin to bring couples away on retreats. And they go through these teachings with them. And they have a 95% turnaround rate for couples that are about to get divorced. When they take them through and recognize, hey, you really do love each other. You've just been pushing each other's buttons and you didn't realize it, and you've been in a fear dance now five years, three years, seven years, whatever it's been, and neither one of you are having healthy relationship because you didn't realize that you've been in this fear dance from the very beginning. And that dance begins to control. So what we need to learn to do is we need a new dance. Everybody say amen. Because every one of us have core fears. Every one of us. And every one of us have reactions. And every one of us have desires on the inside. And so it's not wrong to have desires. It's just when we get into hitting, having core fears and we get into hurting one another, now we have dysfunctional relationships. Now, I taught you last week, and I just want to remind you, there are three relationships that we were made for. I want, if y'all can find that diagram, three relationships. First off, a relationship with God. Jesus answered the question. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Then with others, and he said, love your neighbor as much as you love your third category, self. So I want to just help you. If you're not healthy in your relationship with God, look how it crosses over. It'll affect you and it'll affect others. So you're trying to go to church to make her happy, bro, but you don't have a real relationship with God and you, don't, you can't figure out why I'm having such difficulty in this marriage. If she wasn't so Christianized, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't have conflict. No, 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 no. God created you. He wants a relationship with you. And when that relationship is unhealthy because you were made for that relationship, then you begin to accidentally, you don't even realize it, you're affecting the other relationships around you, reflecting your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others. Why? Because you cannot love crazy, stupid people in this world without the power of God flowing through you. You can't. You can't be nice to somebody who's a jerk without the power of God flowing through. You need a right relationship with God. And then what most of us skip, go back to it, most of us skip that we really need a right relationship with ourselves. In other words, some of you don't have a good identification of who you are. You don't have a, you don't have a clean identity. 
And so you don't, you, you're mad at yourself all the time when you make mistakes or you're embarrassed of yourself. And God has to heal that and you've got to get healthy because when you have a bad identity, you begin to affect your spouse, your children, all the people around you in, in, in your business that you're working in or whatever type of job that you do. So it's these three relationships that we want to get healthy and we want to break these core fears. So we've got to come up with a new dance. But here's what the word has to say about this core fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God did not give you these core fears. God didn't do it. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So the question bids, then where do these core fears come from? They come from ultimately the pit of hell. Ultimately. So you didn't have a, a, a core fear, a feeling. My wife didn't have an issue with the need to feel safe. She didn't have a fear of danger until she was in a car accident where someone had misappropriated themselves. She didn't live like that prior to that moment. She now has that because of this situation. And as a good husband who, who loves her, I'm aware that this scenario has happened. So I'm working with her in that core fear until God is strengthening her to where she doesn't live in that place of core fear anymore. And friend, can I tell you, we weren't two or three years into our marriage. God set her free from it. And you know, old stupid Pastor Adam's driving all crazy. And she, because the first year or so, she would yell every time anything happened. Anytime. She'd just yell, ah, what? There was a cat on the side of the road. Did you see it? Baby, you're going to kill us. Don't yell like that. Well, it got to, she got so free from the, from the fear of you know, being unsafe in a car that then she'd be like, hey, you're about to hit the back of those cars. Hey, you're about to hit the back of those cars. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, why are you saying anything? She's like, you said not to yell. I have full confidence in Jesus and in you. I was like, man, don't be so free. All right, you got a little bit of fear. Come on, let's go back to it or something. But this is the place that you and I want to get to. So I want to teach you today. I want to teach you how to have a new dance step. I want to teach you how to break those core fears. Are, are you tracking with me? Say yes. Pull out your pads. Come on, pull out your phones. Let's throw, throw these in the notes. Six steps to overcoming the power of core fears. Six steps to overcoming the power of these core fears because they're destroying our relationships. They're destroying our friendships. They're destroying small groups. And it's really critical for Hill City that we get good at relationships. We did not build this church on ministries. We're not, we're not signing you up for dance teams and all these things. We are a small group-based church. We are in relationship with each other. So when we suck at relationships, we destroy this church. So we have to get good at it. And we've all admitted we're not that good at relationships, and we all have to get better. So this is a critical to the health of this congregation, to your marriage health, to your family health, to your work environment health. So let me give you the first step in overcoming the core fear, and that is take control of your thoughts. Take control of your thoughts. That may sound simple to some of you, but it is the greatest, most beautiful gift that God could give us is the understanding that the battleground is not in your actions, the battleground's in your thoughts. Look what the word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 15, the Bible says, and we take every Excuse me, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Guys, if I acted on everything I thought, I would be in prison forever. If I spoke every thought that came into my mind, you would not go to church here. You'd be like, that dude is wicked. Because each and every one of us are bombarded with wicked thoughts throughout the day. The problem is most of you think, because I thought it, that means that's coming from the core of who I am. That's a lie. 
Because let me help you understand how Satan works. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. So if someone's never taught you that there are real demons, there are real demonic forces that are constantly bombarding your way of thinking, if you haven't been taught that, then you have a big gap in your understanding on how to live for Christ and how to walk this thing out in Jesus. And if you don't get that, then today has to be the day that there are forces of evil that drop thoughts in your mind. You didn't generate them because you're just a bad, horrible person. They are thoughts that come all the time. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Have you never been riding down I-35 and thought, I want to murder that person? Where did that come from? Well, it came because they were wicked <laughs> and they're stupid. They should have never gotten a license yet. Where did those thoughts come from? And so that's why the Bible says, take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. In fact, I love what this other pastor says in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about such things like that. So you and I actually have the ability to switch our brain and say, I'm not going to think about that because that's wicked. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about how good God is. I'm going to think about, you know what, though that person should have never gotten a driver's license, they're made in the image of God. And I bless you in Jesus' name. We're running around talking about what would Jesus do. I think what we need to stop is say, what would Jesus think? Because you don't do anything that you haven't first thought about. You think that most of your life and your bad decisions were reactory, but they're really not. They're really something you thought about. And then the reactory part of your life of bad decisions came because you've never taken thoughts captive. And so you just have always reacted, and so you just react. But if you'll stop and take your thoughts captive and say, wait a minute, I, I don't have to give in to that. I'm going I'm to take control over my own thoughts, and I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to think like that. I'm going to think the best. I'm going to believe the best. She said, I do, 20 years ago. I think she still means it, but sometimes I, I, I fear that. But you know what? I'm just going to think the best. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to think right. Are you with me? Say yes. This is how you break this fear dance. This is how you start getting healthy in relationships, is you've got to take control of your thoughts. And 1 Corinthians 2.16, let me tell you what I do personally. 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. So I wake up every morning and I say, Jesus, take your brain, rip mine out, and put your mind inside of my mind. Seriously, I want to think like you think, Jesus. I want to perceive people the way you perceive them. I want to love the way you love, so i got to think the way you think. So, God, I put on the mind of Christ. I, 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 I want to see through your eyes. I want to think the way you think. And I do that kind of as a faith gesture to my God. I want to think like Jesus thought. Therefore, I can then act and do what Jesus did. Are you tracking? Say yes. Here's the second, if you will, step to overcoming these powerful core fears that we all have. And that is take responsibility for your buttons. Take responsibility for your buttons. That's my favorite TikTok video or YouTube video. The little girl and daddy's, he's got the camera on her. He's like, she's trying to put her, her little car seat on. He's like, you need some help? She's not, I got it, I got it. He said, you need some help? She said, what about yourself? <laughs> like I said, I got it. What about yourself, daddy? Why are you worried about me? And I think that would really help some of us if we stop trying to uh, blame everybody else and trying to get everybody else uh, all up in. Take responsibility for our own buttons. You have buttons. You have them. People push them. You react. Next thing you know, you're like, I ain't mean to. I didn't mean to. Take responsibility for your own buttons so that no one can push your buttons. Are you with me? Say yes. You are never at the mercy of others who try to push your buttons. They do not have control over your reaction. 
Stop giving them control. Take responsibility of your own buttons. My wife this, my wife that. Yeah, bro, take responsibility of your own buttons. You didn't have to hit her. Well, she, take responsibility of your own buttons. You didn't have to do that at work. They this and they never, and they disrespect me. They keep promoting everybody else but never promote me. Take responsibility of your own buttons. You have the power to do that. You can. Do you want to stop the fear dance? Do you want to get healthy in relationships? Then I'm telling you, learn these lessons. Here's a third step in taking control over your fear buttons, and that is don't give others the power to control your feelings. Don't give others the power to control your feelings. Psalms 86 and 10 is one of my favorite verses. It says, for you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. You alone are God. They're not my God. They don't have control over me. I've surrendered to you. You are the Lord of my life. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I only give the power of how I feel and how I think to you, not to everybody else. And when you and I get to that place where we stop giving the power to control our feelings, and what, think about that for just a moment. So they showed up at work, like they do about every other Monday, with an attitude. And they're jerks. Now all of a sudden you're feeling bad because they're acting a fool, like they normally do every Monday. Take the power back. Don't give them the power to control your feelings. They go, I tell you, I can't stand working in this place. Woo, I don't know about you. I'm glad to have a job. I'm glad. In fact, I'm so glad to have you to get to be your boss and be your supervisor because I couldn't stand if I had uh, somebody who was always nice every day. I wouldn't know how to act. I wouldn't know how to act. You're making me a better person. Thank you so much. You don't control my feelings. Are you tracking? Come on. Uh, are you tracking? Amen. All right, let's go to number four. I got to keep you moving. Here's the fourth step, if you will, and that is don't look to others to make you happy. Some of you don't even know you're doing it. Don't look to others to make you happy. You know, years ago, when I was a young, man, a young Christian, if my pastor didn't look my way at a service or shake my hand, I would go into a depression for a week. I just, I just loved him. He was my hero. I wanted to be like him. He was an amazing man of God. I mean, every day at the church, he was up there at 6 a.m. praying. I was like, man, I will never do that. That's Superman. He's just, he was my hero. And, and if he didn't mention my name once I got on staff and some kind of, you know, I'm so grateful for all the staff, pastor so-and-so, thank you, and pastor. If he didn't mention my name, I was like, huh? I was looking to him to make me happy. Can I just tell you, no human can ultimately make you happy. That place is reserved for Jesus Christ and him alone. Not only that, but then God's going to make you mad. Has he ever asked you to do something you didn't want to do? I mean, I was thinking about Jesus the other day being led out by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. I mean, like, dude, what are you doing? About <laughs> Jesus, like, Holy Spirit, why? Like, this does not make me happy. But it was needed for him to overcome. So don't look to others to make you happy. Philippians 4.19 and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, much of what you think you need is really just something that you want. And when you want something, what's on the backside of that? Fear. Fear. God promises to meet all of our needs. He does not promise to meet all of our wants. And then we're looking for a spouse to meet all the things that I want in life to give me that. And you've asked an imperfect person to make you happy. And they can't. And the moment that they dissatisfy you, what is your reaction? I mean, I've met with people that have been married seven, eight times. 
just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. And you know what it always comes down to? They had some kind of false reality that that person was supposed to make them happy. And the moment they got in conflict, they're not happy. So they cut it off. And it became a habit. They loved their fear dance. In fact, they were great at their fear dance. They were the professional fear dancers. They were professional fear dancers. They were so good at it that they ended up very lonely in life. Because no one can sustain that kind of relationship with you. So don't look to others to make you happy. Here's number five. Become the CEO of your life. Become the CEO of your life. Chief Executive Officer. Now let me explain this to you, how, how I believe that works. Um, according to Scripture, I am the head of my wife. The Bible tells her to submit to me. But the Bible says for the husband to love the wife as Christ loves the church. So the way Christ loves the church, he gets up under us and he picks us up. And so she submits to me, I love her like Christ loves the church and picks her up. But the whole time, she's still the CEO of her life. I am not the CEO of her life. This is the broken concept that we have. She is a daughter of the Most High God. I am a son of the Most High God. What he's talking about in reference to wives submit to your husbands, husbands, he's talking about what is needed for a relationship to operate in a family structure. Somebody's got to be the final decision maker. Somebody's got to be the pilot. Someone's got to be the co-pilot. So he sets it up. That doesn't demean the co-pilot that they're second rate. That, in fact, why would you create a helpmate who's weaker than the one who's, who's needing help? So, so the wife is not, not the weak one, although the Bible says she's the weaker vessel. That's actually better translated out. She's like fine china. She's more specialized. She, it's not that she's weak, like can't handle, handle business. Go into a birthing room for just a moment. And you realize, you are a boss, and I don't want none of it. Don't want none of it. I mean, uh, you don't, how many single dads versus how many single moms? Single moms can handle business. I mean, versus single dad, like I'm telling you, when I got the kids for, for a couple hours, I'm like, I, I don't know, I lost them. I don't know, they're somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, they couldn't even help me find the remote. What's wrong with these kids? And so you and I must understand this whole process is that, is that, that no one owns you. No one controls you. You are the CEO of your own life. Take responsibility. Be in charge of you. And you surrender yourself, if you will, to God. And yes, if I'm a wife, I, I support my husband in submission to the decisions that they're making and helping them as a great co-pilot. But he's an idiot if he doesn't listen and serve and love me and build me up. This is the breakdown that we have in these relational understandings. You and I are the CEOs of our own life. And what is CEOs? Have you, who's had a good boss before? Anybody had a really good boss? Let me tell you what a good boss does. A good boss does not lead top-down leadership. What a good boss does is say, hey, hey, everybody, what do y'all think we should do about this? And then gets to take information. Oh, that's a, your plan's a lot better. Let's do that. So here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're the CEO of your life, enlist other people to help you. Hey, if you see something in me, man, just speak it to me. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm the CEO of my own life. But if you see something that I can do better at, that's why I want you in small group life. Because then you're with people who can see you and know you and love you and create a safe relational space where they can say, hey, man, because you asked, I, I really think you, could, you, you might want to focus on this a little bit. Dude, thank you, because I know you love me. This is what healthy relationships should look like. This is what we can be to break this fear down. So here's the fifth, or excuse me, the sixth step, if you will, in breaking these core fears. Are you still there? Say yes. Am I helping you a little bit? Say yes. Number six, forgiveness heals relationships. 
You're going to stay in those fear dances with those, those people at work until you, can, until you can get to a place where you can forgive. You're going to stay in that fear dance with your spouse, with your small group friends, until you can break that, that thing that, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm not good at forgiving. You and I have to learn to forgive. It's a beautiful part of the process of maturing in Christ. It's to be, become forgivers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? The connotation is that the brother has repented or has asked for forgiveness. And, uh, and, he, and then he answers his own question, up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, I think King James says. And let me put in perspective what's happening here. Um, the rabbis of the day had a teaching that you forgive someone who sins against you up to three times. So they sin against you and they said, man, I'm so sorry. I stole that from you. You know, I promise not to do it again. They come back, steal again. The rabbis taught them up to three times. So J Peter, trying to be really spiritual, says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? I mean, I know the standard is three, but shouldn't it be seven times, which is double the standard plus one? And Jesus said, let me help you out, buddy. And this 77 times or this 70 times seven, what he's really saying metaphorically is indefinitely. Yep. Indefinitely. You got to forgive. Because forgiveness is so much more about our health and so much less about their health. And I've taught you this many, many times. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you immediately embrace them back into a place of trust. Yep. I mean, if someone's done you really wrong and, 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 they, and, and you forgive them, sometimes I'm forgiving people by faith because they've never asked me to forgive them. They've never even exhibited repentance for what they've done or acknowledgement. So sometimes I'm just releasing them. Other times I'm actually engaging with them because, because they were willing and we were making it right and we both had a different opinion on what really happened. Are you tracking with me? And I choose in that moment to forgive and release this whole thing. They choose to forgive and release whatever they thought I did and we go on for healthy relationship. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So let me give you a little illustration of how something very intense that happened with friends of ours who were members of our church for a season. Uh, there was a couple that actually, they were both teenagers in our youth group way back in the day. They ended up meeting, uh, well, they met in our youth group, but they ended up getting married and uh, had a couple kids together. They were attending another church and, and uh, years into this marriage, years into this attending this other church with their two little boys, the wife kind of has a day where she's sick, I believe, and is not able to go to church. So she stays at home with the littlest kid. And the, the dad takes the other boy to church. And he's, while he's sitting there, son in the, in the kids' ministry, he's sitting there and the pastor's preaching the same church he's gone to because his wife wanted him to for years. All of a sudden, he comes under conviction. And he comes under conviction to the place. And he would say it, describe it later. I had been in church my whole life. I'd known about God, but I didn't know God. And in that moment, for the first time, I saw how wicked I really was, how carnal, how fake I really was. He said, I, I always could justify it, but, but for the first time, my sin was really revealed to me for what it was. And he goes, I began to weep uncontrollably, and the pastor couldn't even pre finish preaching the message. He said, I ran down to the front, got on my knees, and the pastor's trying to close out the service, and then people come pray for me. He said, in the middle of this repentance moment with God, this revelation of my sin, he said, I sensed, knew, felt, understood grace. 
God poured out his grace, and I could feel the, the guilt and the shame. It lifted off of me. He goes, and I just knew that God loved me, and I was so forgiven, and all that sin and all that mess was gone, and I'm a new creature in Christ. And he said, as I'm there weeping, church has been let out. They let me kind of stay there, he said, for another 45 minutes or so. He goes, in the middle of that, God said, I have forgiven you. And he said, yes, God, thank you. He said, now I want you to repent to your wife so she can forgive you for the adulterous affairs you've had that she knows nothing about. To which he says to us, later telling the story, he goes, I said, God, she'll leave me. God, she, th that'll destroy our family. To which God said, repent to those that you've sinned against. Didn't give him any other solution. So he said, I took a couple days and I didn't tell her anything. He said, I fought what I fought with it. But in those couple days, I was so transformed. She was like, who is this man? You're so on fire for God. He said, which made it worse. Made it worse. She's like, you're the husband I've always been dreaming of. <laughs> so he said, after a couple nights laying in bed, right as they're about to go to sleep, he finally got up the courage to say, baby, I need to tell you something. She said, what is it? And he, with stammering lips, was able to get it out of his mouth. I've cheated on you multiple times in the midst of our seven, eight-year marriage. The most recent one was three months ago. And, as they, and they gave me permission to tell their story. As they tell the story afterwards to us later, she did what I think was probably pretty, not just noble, but what I would have expected. Um, she loaded up the kids and she went to mom's house trying to figure out if she was going to stay with her husband. She has scriptural precedence for a divorce because he's been unfaithful. He's broken the covenant relationship through infidelity. She has a scriptural precedence, but she loves him. But now she's horrified because who she trusted and who she put her, her love, her, her heart into has been misappropriating that and has had adulterous affairs. Now she's wondering how many. She's got all these details flying through her mind. She's thinking through, what's it going to be like to be a single mom? Do I get a job? Do I fight to stay with him? Can I ever forgive him? Can I ever sleep with him again? Can I ever be next to him? Can I ever allow him to touch me? I mean, what, what, she's working through this for a couple of days. And uh, she's, got her, she's in her bedroom that she, was, that she had as a teenager staying at mom and dad's house. And she's on her little single bed with her kids on the floor. And she's not talking to her husband, doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He, meanwhile... The guilt, the shame, the, the brokenness. He goes up to the church almost every day and says, can I just lay at the front of the, of the altar area, the, you know, the stage area, and just repent to God? And, it's one, and he said, days go by, and she's not communicating. And she's sitting on her bed asleep, and God wakes her up kind of moment. She's half asleep, and God begins to talk to her. And God says, if you'll let me, I will heal you and give you the ability to forgive him. So she then has to grapple, do I even want to forgive him? I want, therefore I fear I want to trust him, but I fear that I can't trust him. And he's proven that. So God, you and you alone can help me forgive. And she prayed this little whisper of a prayer. God, can you help me forgive him? Because I really do love him, but he's broken my heart. And God said, yeah. When she woke up the next morning, something was happening on the inside of her. In that moment of asking God to help me forgive, he gave her grace. She called him. She said, I want to talk with you. I want to meet with you. She sat with him, and, and she had all these questions. Why? Who? How many times? 
And he had enough maturity to go, baby, none of it matters. I, I can tell you, but I, 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 you don't, I don't deserve you to forgive me, by the way. I don't, I don't know how this can ever go forward. I did it. But I'm right with God, and I don't know what to do. And she was able to get out of her mouth. She said, she looked at him, she goes, I forgive you. And he broke down and went, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve it. She goes, I forgive you. God's given me supernatural ability to forgive you in this moment. And by the time they showed up at our church a couple months later, they walked in as the perfect couple. I kept looking at them like, wow, they hold on to each other. They, they, they whisper sweet nothings in the ear. They're, they're both, they're worshiping like this. And like, in the Bible says, who's been forgiven much, loveth much. And, and, and they're just, and then we, see, we take them out to dinner, Jamie and I, and, and we talk to them and they start telling us the story. And they're just like, like they would be the couple that I would tell all of you, go meet with them if you want to know how to serve God as a family. If you, like, like your family is like, you got it. They, they pray together. They, their kids are all loving Jesus. And they ended up ultimately after being with us a couple years, feeling the call to go minister, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, across the ocean. And so we sent them, we blessed them. And, and they've been working in the foster care system. And it's just phenomenal family. They're together today. They love our own fire for God. But God did that because of one reason and one reason only, because she opened her heart up to forgive. They would not be a couple today. They would not be a family today, but she opened up her heart, said, God, I don't want to forgive him. I don't have, I have actually have a right to not forgive him, but your word says very clearly that how can I expect God to forgive me my sins if I don't forgive those who've sinned against me? I don't know if I can ever trust him again. So you've got to give me the ability to forgive. And in that moment of saying, God, I need you. What, is, what does James say? And you have not because you do not ask God. You want this and you fight, but you never ask God. You never say, God, I need your help. I don't like my coworker. They're a jerk. They push every one of my buttons. I'm trying to be a godly person. I don't like the people at church. I went and I got in that small group. And next thing you know, they're having activities and bonfires and, 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 and barbecues and they didn't invite me. And I'm mad about that. Puts all the core fears from when at my last church that did that to me. God, I need your help. This is the position. And when you and I go, God, I need your help to forgive, to love, to see it the way you see it. When we ask him for help, he comes in on the scene and he goes, watch this. I got you. And then all of a sudden we go, wow, they didn't even really mean that. I see that. Well, all of a sudden we get a text message and we're like, oh, I can't even believe I've been upset about it. Look what they said, baby. Come look at this. This is all can't believe it. And God begins to fix it when we begin to ask for help and say, God, I don't, I'm not good at relationships and I'm not good at protecting my fear buttons from being pushed. I'm not good at taking captive high thoughts. I'm not good at being the CEO of my own life. So God, I need your help. And when you and I do that, he comes in on the scene. This family is a beautiful, magnificent family because mama said, God, I need your help to forgive him. And he humbled himself. And he took that next year to rebuild trust. And he took that space of authenticity. And I, I'll never forget that first, first couple months. It, they were raw. It, it had just happened a couple months earlier. And I'll never forget sitting with them. And I said, so what, what safety mechanisms do you have in place, bro, that you never will do this again? And he goes, well, first off, she's got my password to every bit of social media, my phone. He goes, we have this thing that we're on. That's probably one of the places we learned about Life 360. So she can see me anywhere I'm at, wherever my phone is at, wherever I'm at, she can see me. He said, not only that, but I just build confidence all the time. I text her all throughout the day, call her all throughout the day and say, baby, I want you to know you're the love of my life. And this lady walked up to me at the store and said this, I want to be accountable about that. And I told her this. And that began to create that safe place to trust again. It's unbelievable what God can do. You and I have to break this fear dance. These are the tools that will help you. 
when you and I come into the place of saying, God, I want healthy relationships. I have core fears. I want to break them because you didn't give them to me. And God, I'll take the tools out of the Holy Scripture and I will begin to put them in place so that I can have healthy relationships. Friend, this is when we'll start changing the world together when we come to this place. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? Quick. Know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it. Pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.